find in your Bibles 1 John. If you have a little trouble finding that, it's right before 2 John. So that's the only clue I have for you. 1 John. And we're going to kind of be moving all over 1 John. Because everything we need today is in that book. So in our series, I Believe, Help My Unbelief, the title today is I Believe I Am Saved, Help Me Live Like There Is No Doubt. And I, I want to kind of identify a couple things before we get into the scripture. If you're a new believer, if you've been saved just a short time, the number one lie Satan's going to tell you is that you're not really saved. That you're not worthy of salvation. That that God doesn't really love you. He, he wasn't thinking of you when he died on the cross. That you're not eligible, you're not worthy, therefore you're not saved. And he's going to try to discount what happened between you and God and, and cause you to live like nothing happened. That's, that's the big lie that he's going to tell the new believer. And since Satan is really good at lying and he never misses an opportunity, there's another lie that he tells unbelievers. It's actually the opposite lie. He tells unbelievers that they are okay with God. That they, they do live a good enough life to make it in the end. That God would choose them if he had the choice. And that, that they're going to be okay. There's, there's no need to get fanatic. There's no need to, to really push the docket. Just, just live your life. God loves you. You feel spiritual. You're good. So he tells the unbeliever you're, you're a believer. And he tells the believer you're not. And, and, and that's, that's one of the lies that Satan tells. And he continues to tell those lies until you mature to the point where that lie no longer has an effect. And that, that's a mark of maturity. When, when the lie that says, are you sure you're saved? That, that lie has no effect on you. When you say, I absolutely am sure I'm saved. I have evidence. I have proof. I have the promises. And, and then Satan will quit telling you that lie. But First John was written to believers... It was written to believers, both young and old, and, and John says in 1 John 5.13, which is in your notes, I write these things to you who believe. So he's writing to the church and the believers in the church. So everything we talk about is written to believers, everything that came before in the book. This is kind of towards the end. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so you're saved, so that you may know you have eternal life. So that you may know with confidence, not think, not hope, not, not reason through to, to finish the question, but you know, know beyond the shadow of a doubt, know with, without having to think about it, know, know without having to argue with anybody. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. So for the young believer, the things we're going to talk about should, should give you assurance, should give you confidence, should help you progress on the road of belief that I'm saved and nothing can change that. To the unsaved person, the things we're going to talk about today should, should clue you in, should be red flags waving to say, wow, I guess I'm not okay on my own. I guess I'm not who I should be on my own. And so these scriptures are evangelism to the unsaved. And to the mature person who has reached the point where the question is no longer a question, they're a reminder of what God has done and what he's doing. And they're a reminder that even though we've got this far, there's still that far to go. 
we're still moving forward. So their assurance for the young, it's evangelism for the unsaved, and it's a reminder for the mature. And so there's seven things on the front side of your notes. I want to talk about each one, reference them in 1 John. And we're going to ask the question, I know I'm saved, or I believe that I'm saved because. And we're going to identify these things. So number one in your notes, I know and believe that I am saved because I freely admit that I'm a sinner who has been legally forgiven of all sin. Legally forgiven of all sin and am constantly being relationally forgiven of recent sin. Now, I had to separate the legal from the relational because John separates the legal from the relational. He's writing to believers who have been legally forgiven. If you're forgiven of your sin, you're forgiven of all your sin. The the gavel has fallen. The, The sins has been given. Jesus paid the price. It's legally removed. But this text talks about confession of sin. And so I, I freely admit I'm a sinner. That, that's something that a believer does. You know, an unbeliever might say, no, no, I don't sin because I'm defending myself. I, I'm trying to build a case that I don't need a Savior. A believer who saves says, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. That was the actual starting place of salvation. So look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to read 8 through 10, and it says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now remember... This is written to believers. So he says, to the believer, to those who say they have faith in Jesus Christ, to those who say they're saved, he says, if we, putting himself in that camp, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So as believers, including the author John, and including us as the readers, if I claim, if we claim we don't sin, I don't, I don't have sin anymore. I have stopped sinning. I no longer have to worry about sin. I I only have to worry about living because I've stopped sinning. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us because the truth is we still struggle with sin. We all still struggle with sin. Different sin, different levels of sin, different kinds of sin, different dispositions to sin, but we all struggle with sin. Then verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we, if we admit we're sinning, and to who? To God. The next word, the he there, clues us in. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Now, if our sins are forgiven at the point of salvation, why does it say to believers, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins? Because we need relational forgiveness on a daily basis. Relational forgiveness, where I have damaged the relationship by ignoring God. I've damaged the relationship by disobeying God. I've damaged the relationship by denying God. I've done something, my sinful nature has led me down a path that damages the relationship. And he says, if you confess this, I will restore the relationship. He is faithful and just and will forgive. I'll, 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 I'll remove it. All of us in relationships have 
had obstacles in our relationship. I've done something wrong. I've said something wrong. I haven't done something right, and I haven't said something right that has caused an issue in a relationship. And then when that issue is discussed and resolved, the relationship can be restored. Sometimes we do it well. Sometimes we don't. God always does it perfectly. He says, we confess our sins. You know, God, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do it right there. I did it wrong. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. I followed the wrong path. I listened to the wrong people. His response is, all right, I forgive you. Relationship restored. Let's move on and let's work on this together. That's the forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He says, we're going to work on this together. We're going we're to work on the purification and then verse 10, he kind of throws in another, another wrinkle here. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, like if you could literally say out loud, you know, I've never sinned, then we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us, because Scripture says that all have sinned. So if we, if we somehow say, you know, I've never sinned, then you're either claiming to be Jesus, which I think is a bad idea, or you're claiming to be as Jesus, God, that's another bad idea, or you're just wrong. And if you claim to be without sin, you can't be saved because you have to be saved from your sin. So from this scripture, I have this statement, which we've already looked at. I know I'm a believer because I freely admit I'm a sinner. And, and, and among, among the family, I admit I'm a sinner. And, and among other believers, I admit I'm a sinner. And I'm, I'm legally forgiven. So, so I might make this statement, you know, I... I'm a sinner, and, and my sins have been legally forgiven. I, I have a place in God's family. I have a place in the kingdom. He's preparing a house for me, but on a daily basis, I still confess sin because I need a right relationship. I need a continual, continual relationship with God, and I can do things that get in the way of that. So I'm being relationally forgiven as well. Number two... I know I'm a believer because my life looks a lot more like Jesus than it used to. It looks a lot more like Jesus than it used to. My usual response to God's word, okay, my usual response to God's word is obedience, not rebellion. You know, I, I, I used to, before I saved, I did everything my way. Now, much more often, I'm willing to try it God's way. You know, when I was immature and young as a believer, I did it my way, then God's way. As I mature, I get it, I, I do it God's way sooner, and, and now, hopefully, a lot of times, I just choose God's way to begin with. 1 John 2, 4 through 6 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him, or this is how we know we're saved. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus lived. Now, this is John pounding the pulpit. Think of, think of John pounding the pulpit, you know, really emphasizing his point, saying it really, really strong so that people listen. And so... A preacher will do this, and, and, he, and you say things strongly because you want to get people's attention, which is why we had number one, which started with verse eight, and said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So here he says, if you're not living like Jesus, you're not saved. 
You're, you're, you should stop living like the world. You've got to be living like Jesus. You will know, will know who you are because you live like Jesus. But don't forget about number one that says you're still a sinner and you're still in process and you're still growing. So that's why we have that next line there. I still fall short of this as indicated in 1 John 1, 8, but there is a pattern of improvement. A pattern of improvement. I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting there faster. I'm understanding more often. I, I, I do respond like Jesus does more often. I'm able to respond uh, more like Jesus more accurately. My, my life does reflect Jesus. My attitudes are changing. My motivations are changing. My ability to love is changing. My behavior is changing. And so in all of these things that we're going to mention, there's a, there's a pounding of the pulpit going on, and, and, and very bold statements are being made, which are true, but every one of them is filtered through 1 John 1.8 that says you're still sinners. You're still sinners. And you still need to confess, and God is still purifying you and still building your righteousness. And so every one of these becomes a, a goal, if you will, not an unachievable goal in the extreme, yes, but it's something we move towards. So I admit I'm a sinner. My life looks more like Christ. And number three, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that love is evident by my actions, by my words, by my attitudes. 1 John 2, 9 through 11 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light, claims to be saved, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness, unsaved. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, saved, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. They're not really following Christ because they're in the darkness. They don't see what's going on because they're in the darkness. But he starts with, and he claims that if you're saved, you're not going to hate your brother and sister in Christ. So if, if anyone can, can say out loud or think in their heart, I hate so-and-so who is a Christian, then you probably need to ask yourself, am I saved? Because the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work and the love that is in us for our fellow believers won't allow that statement to be made. If you ever think to yourself, well, if anyone's going to get cancer, I hope it's them, because they deserve it. If anyone's going to lose their job, I hope it's them. They deserve it. Uh, you know, we're up for the same promotion, the same job, the same opportunity. We're trying for the same thing, and there's no way they should get it, because I deserve it more than them. And if they do get it, I'm going to be ticked off. Those kind of thoughts and those kind of words should never be shared about a fellow believer. Honestly, they shouldn't be shared about anybody. But uh, definitely not in the family of God. And so a, a mark of a believer, a proof of my faith in Christ, is that, that I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we're competing for the same promotion or the same opportunity, and, and they get it, we can, we can look at them and say, I'm glad you got that. How can I help you? How can I support you? Oh, I'm not in charge this time. Let me be one of the servants. I'm going to love you in action. I'm going to love you in word. It's going to show. And, 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 you know, when you're newly saved, 
that might be a transition you go through. It might be something difficult to accomplish, but you grow in that, and it becomes more and more. So over time, it's easier to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Over time, it's easier to make sacrifices. It's easier to pray. It's easier to put them first. So you have a pattern of improvement in the category of love. But if you don't and you still hate, you should ask the question, is the Holy Spirit in me? Because I don't think the Holy Spirit could allow you to hate someone that he loves. Number four, I know that I'm saved. I believe that I'm saved because I love and embrace God and his will while at the same time rejecting the world and its sinful ways. So the Bible teaches that the world is a, is a pattern of belief, a philosophy system, uh, and an interactive force that, that Satan controls that tries to get us to work in ways opposite of what God would have us to do. It's a source of temptation. It, it's a source of instruction. And it, and it leads us away from God. And, and God says, you know you're saved when you start embracing my thoughts and my ways and start rejecting the world and its ways. So 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Love for the Father not being in you, that means not saved. Verse 16, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... What my body wants, the lust of, of the eyes, what my mind says I want, I see it, I want it, and the pride of life, I'm the most important thing around, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. It says, if anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. So I know I'm saved if, if I love and embrace God and his will. God's way seems to be the right way. God's desires are the things that I, I look for and the things I approach. I, I embrace God. When I read it in Scripture, I say, yeah, that's right. When there's competing viewpoints and God says do it this way and the world says do it this way, I look at it and I go, this is the world. I'm not following the world. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to reject the world. I'm going to follow God. I know I'm a believer if as that happens, and if it happens more and more. Number five, I know I'm saved, or I know I'm, I believe that I'm saved, if I, do, if I do not deny Jesus as my Lord and Savior. In other words, I freely identify as a Christian. I freely identify as a Christian. 1 John 2, 21 and 22. It says, I do not write to you be, because you do not know the truth. I don't, I don't write to you because you don't know that I'm, this is true. You don't know what's true. But because you do know it and because no lies come from the truth. Who is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Who, who's the liar? Who's the one who doesn't know the truth? Who's the unsaved person? The one who denies that Jesus is a Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, not the Antichrist from Revelation, but we could, we could say it like this, he is the enemy of Christ. Okay, he's the enemy of Christ, denying the Father and the Son, denying the Trinity, denying Christ. So, so I, I do not deny Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I fully identify as a Christian. My co-workers know I'm a Christian. My neighbors know I'm a Christian. My, my family knows I'm a Christian. They know I 
Trust Jesus, follow Jesus, and obey Jesus. My words reflect that. My actions reflect that. My attitudes reflect that. You know you're saved. You can have confidence in your salvation if, if your life reflects and your words reflect a devotion to Christ as your Savior. Well, you don't hide it from anybody. You don't shy away from it. You're not embarrassed if someone finds out. You want them to. A believer wants people to know who their Savior is. Number six, I know I'm saved because I do not continue in sin. I do not continue in sin. That word continue, or the phrase continue in sin, we need to kind of, kind of define that. It, it means to embrace the lifestyle. Okay, I do not embrace the lifestyle of sin. I do not intentionally choose sinful behaviors. Now you might say, well, where does that take place? Well, there's lots of churches in the world who are meeting this morning, and, and their service is very different than ours because they do embrace sin. If, if I'm a saved person, then I, and I am not going to live a homosexual lifestyle. And there are many churches who are being led today by gay and lesbian pastors and gay and lesbian leaders, and they say, I believe the Bible, Jesus is my Savior, but I'm not going to leave my sinful lifestyle. I am going to live this way. That's a, a fairly extreme example, but it's not extreme in the sense that you can't all find a church that believes that and, and works this way. It's extreme in the fact that it sounds unbelievable to someone who hasn't chosen that. You could also say in a more simplified term, something maybe more of us can identify with, if, if I was a thief before I was saved and I made my living stealing, I stole from other people and that's how I, that's how I paid my bills and got my food, I stole things, then I got saved I'm not going to say, well, my job is stealing, so I'm going to keep stealing even though I'm saved. I'm not going to embrace a sinful lifestyle. I'm not going to intentionally choose to sin, and I'm not going to say something silly like, well, I'm going to start tithing on what I steal, and God will be happy with that. See how ludicrous that sounds? Well, just name your sin, whatever it is. Pick the sin, and, 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 and we don't embrace that. We don't say, okay, God... Thank you for saving me from my sin. Thank you for a place in heaven. I want to serve you. Except in this area, I'm not ready to give this up. I'm not willing to give this up. I plan to continue sinning like this, and I'm, I'm really expecting you to overlook it. I'm expecting you not to get excited about it. I'm, I'm expecting you not to bring it up. This is my sin. You can have all the rest. This is it. Pick whatever sin it is. Dishonesty. Stealing, pride. I'm not going to embrace the lifestyle. I'm not going to continue in sin. When God identifies the sin, I start working to eliminate it. Now, God may not identify all the sin right away. He may say, hey, this one we're going to work on now. And when you get a handle on that one, he might say, now this one. And then when that one's done, now this one. And it, it may take several years to work through some major sin issues. And that's God's uh, prerogative, how fast he wants to work. But when a sin is identified, and I understand it's not part of God's plan, a true believer will say, oh, wow, I've got to stop this. This is not good. So a true believer will, will not continue in sin. 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. 
The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Let me say that again. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Okay? They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. In other words, they've been changed. The Holy Spirit is living within them. And if they have been, if they are a new creation, forgiven and changed, and the Holy Spirit is in them, they are not capable of saying, I don't care what God wants. This is my sin. I'm going to continue on in it. So we don't continue in sin. The number seven. I know that I'm saved because my Christian life causes the world to hate me. It causes me to love my fellow believers both in word and in deed. 1 John 3, 11 through 18. It says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain killed Abel because his Abel was righteous and Cain was not, and he saw that. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know that we, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love in words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So the world's going to hate us. Our, our faith alone, our belief alone, our change alone, the fact that we belong to God and act like we belong to God, that's going to cause the world to hate us. There will be opposition to us because of our identity in Christ. That's a given. And if, that, if that's never happened, you might ask why, but you should be able to identify when it has happened. But at the same time that the world hates you, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ more. You love them more, and it's evident in word and in deed, similar to what we talked about already. So here's seven things from 1 John. There's, there's probably more, but these seem to cover it. Most of these are mentioned multiple times. I just mentioned them in the order that they appeared. And I want to remind you that, God, that John wrote all these things, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And for those unbelievers who would be reading this because maybe they think they are or they want people to think they are, it's evangelism. And for the mature person who doesn't have any doubts, it's a reminder of what we need to be and how we need to be it. So I, I do admit I'm a sinner. I'm legally forgiven of all my sin, but relationally, I need to come to God often. My life looks a, more, a lot more like Jesus' life than it used to. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and over time I love them even more. 
I embrace God's will and I reject the world. I do not deny Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I freely identify as a Christian. I, I don't continue in sin. I reject that lifestyle. And even though the world hates me, I find that I, uh, I'm loving other people more and it's evident by my action. So I can, I can look at that list and I can say, yeah, I've, I'm growing in that list. The new believer will say, well, that, that's, how, that's what I've been thinking about. That's what I've been feeling. That's, that's what I want to be in a new believer that, that identifies with that and agrees with it and said, yeah, there's my goals. Yeah, there's the evidence. Okay, there's the evidence. I want to read two more scriptures on the other side of your notes to talk about the assurance of your salvation. These are my, my favorite, too, on the topic. Romans 8, 35, 37 through 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, which we would probably say poverty or danger or sword? What, what shall separate us? Any of these things? The answer of verse 37, No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can overcome every one of these. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very long list of things that can't separate us from God, and guess what's right in there, included in the anything else in all creation, is you. You can't even separate yourself from the love of God. You've been saved. You are saved. Do you really think you have the power and authority to tell Jesus that his forgiveness is no longer valid? Or that he needs to get back up on the cross and die less? You can't undo your salvation. It is a permanent thing by God. And, and he says in Scripture, you can't do this. John 10, 27 through 30, the words of Christ himself, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one's going to get them away from me. Okay, verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He starts with, you belong to me, and, and no one's getting you out of my hand. I know you, you know me. No one's going to snatch you from my flock. And if that's not good enough... The Father, who is the most powerful of all, is also on board. He, he's not going to let you escape. And if that's not enough, you should know that I and the Father are one, so you've got a double duty here. We're both in on this. Together as one. The Trinity is involved here. So our salvation is secure. Now I want to go back kind of to where we started, and I'll move through this quickly. If you're a new believer, you should look to the desire to the desire to do and be these things, and also for indications of a new thought process, and for progress. That's, that's what you're looking for. That's where your assurance comes from. Number two, if you're a mature believer, you should identify qualitative growth over time and noticeable change in both thought processes and behaviors. A mature believer will say, 10 years ago I was like this, now I'm like this. Wow, what a difference. What a, what a, what a progression. If you simply do not see these things in your life at all, or have no comfort from this list that you are in a right, right relationship with God, then today may, the, may be the day for your actual and true salvation. If you believe the lie and Satan said, you're good, don't worry about it, maybe today is the day you get saved. If you've been faking it, maybe today is the day you get saved. 
if, if you've been seeking, maybe today's the day you find. And I want to go through these scriptures really fast. Romans 3.23 tells us that everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard. God's standard is perfection. Every sin moves us farther from that standard, and it only took one sin to move us so far from the standard that we cannot reach God. So we've all sinned, and we've fallen short of God's glorious standard. That's not such bad news on the surface until you get to Romans 6.23. The price we must pay for our sin is spiritual death. By not being able to reach God, we have to pay the price of death, which is hell. Meeting the standard takes us to heaven. Not meeting the standard takes us to hell. That's the bad news. The good news in the same verse is that we can receive God's gift of forgiveness. So we're bound for hell because that's the price we have to pay unless we receive the gift of salvation. Romans 10.13 says salvation comes from Jesus Christ and through him alone. It's, it's him alone, but it's available to everybody. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins, offering us salvation. He's saying, I'll pay the price legally so that you don't have to deal legally with your sins. Then we'll work on the relationship from here on out. So Jesus paid the price. He offers it as a gift. So then we get to Romans 10, 9, and 10. We are saved when we believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross and was raised back to life so that our sins can be forgiven. And then we reach out to God in prayer to accept the gift and make him Lord. Now I want to offer an initial prayer, just in case somebody here today or somebody listening online has not taken the step. And I want to offer you a simple prayer that you can follow. The words aren't magical. The timing is not magical. It's something you can take with you and, and, and interact with God with later. But here's, a, here's the prayer. And I'm just going to say it. And if you want to, re repeat it in your own heart to God. Dear Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. And you already knew that. I realize that my sin is sending me to hell. But I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. I accept this gift and thank you for your forgiveness. Legally, I belong to you. Relationally, we're going to get to know each other. I will do my best to live for you from this day forward. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for the rest of us, I want to go back to our opening statement. I believe I'm saved. Help me live like there's never a doubt. For those who are saved, that's, that's where we're going. I know I'm saved. That's the point today. I know I'm saved. Help me live like it. Help me live like there's no doubt. So that's how we're going to start our prayer. I'm going to say, dear Jesus, we're all going to say, I believe I'm saved. Help me live like there's never a doubt. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. So I hope you're ready. This is called interaction. I know it's weird, but it's going to be great. So dear Jesus, I believe I'm saved. Help me live like there is never a doubt. Father, thank you for the assurance of our salvation we find 
in 1 John. Thank you that he wrote this. Thank you that we can read it and identify with it. I pray that we all reach the point where there's never another doubt, that, that the question's not even bothered to be asked, the accusation's never made by Satan, because it just has no merit. And I pray that our life would reflect this, that all these things would be true, and they would be more true over time. So, Father, help us walk that pathway. Help us grow in these processes. And may we glorify you each and every day. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.